if you have a vision, you need to have priorities enable, in order to be able to deliver on that. So we need to know what our priorities are as a church in order to deliver the vision that we have. If you want to get somewhere, you need to know where you're going. At work recently, I've been writing um, <clears throat> our group's new strategy. Um, and when I presented it to the board committee, we had to present what our priorities were over the next year. They wanted to know that we were prioritizing the right things in order to, to deliver on the vision that we have. And that's true in all, uh, in all areas. President Obama, four years ago when he became president, he had uh, quite a compelling vision. Uh, and yet, soon after um, his inauguration, he found that his priorities were perhaps a little bit different than what he thought they were going to be. And uh, his vision has not quite come to fruition in the same way. So I would encourage you, if you haven't heard the talk, go to the website. <clears throat> um, if you haven't got an hour spare, then get the talk from the following Sunday when, Mark, when Barry preached and he put it a little bit more succinctly. Um, and you can listen to it there. But I encourage you to go and listen to it um, to find out what our vision is going forward. But first of all, I'd like to look at what our priorities are that we have ourselves. What are the things that we hold on to, most importantly, in our own lives? <clears throat> this is where, for a few seconds, it gets interactive. So I would like to ask you, what are your own priorities in life? Somebody shout something out. What's a priority? Don't worry, I won't ask anything more. Just answer the question. What's your priority? Does anybody have any priorities? Family, thank you. Anybody else? Is that it? Is that the only priority in life? Somebody be brave. Food. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Sorry? Studying. Yeah. Work. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Um, they all boil down to just a few fundamentals, don't they? Those things that we just said and other things, they boil down to a few fundamentals. Family, security, health, enjoyment in life. And they would look very much like what Maslow said. Um, on the screen now. Uh, you'll recognize this, maybe. Um, Maslow, he was, a, he was a theoretical psychologist, and he said, these are what we need in life. Um, we have some basic needs there at the bottom, sort of food, water, air, uh, shelter, security and safety come next, friendship and family, belonging, self-esteem, and then realizing our, poten our potential, our creativity. These are good things. These are things that God provides for us. I care about these things, and I'm pretty convinced that every person in this room cares about these things. They're important to us. They're the things that we need um, to make life what life is. We want food and water. We want to be secure. We value our relationships. We shrivel up without self-esteem, and we desire to reach our creative potential. However, we could interpret these in a very one-dimensional way. We could say these are all about me. This is what I want. This is what I need to live a fulfilling life. This is what makes me complete. But if we see our priorities like that, we see them in a very one-dimensional way. We miss something key about them. Uh, apart from perhaps food and water and the other basics, all the others relate, relate to my relationship with other people. My security depends on other people, people around me, my government, other people in this world. The relationships I have with, are with, with other people. My two guinea pigs at home do not count as valid relationships to make me a whole person. I need relationships with other people, with some of you guys, with my friends, with my family. 
<clears throat> Self-esteem comes from how we receive what others communicate to us about ourselves. And reaching one's potential comes out of having interpersonal relationships with one another. So my point is this. We don't live in isolation. None of us. We live in community. We live in our own personal communities of our family. We live in slightly wider communities. We'll have our own personal communities that we're involved in, whether that's school or sports or social groups. We live in our local community. We're in a community as a church. We're in a community as a nation, and we live in the, in, in, in the, in the largest community, the community that we call the World Village. Let's see what Jesus says on this matter. In Mark 12, verse 28, he says this, The greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. Then you will not be far from the kingdom of God. Now, I want to acknowledge that it says, love God first. That's the most important thing. Just that's not what I'm prioritizing today. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the subject is today. Uh, if I was, I would probably say that you can't love God without actually loving other people. Um, but that's not the subject. But I want to acknowledge that. But how are we to love one another? How are we to love our neighbors as we interact with them in this life? A chap called Amos uh, said it in this way. And these were God's words to his people. He said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your church gatherings are a stench to me. Even though you bring me offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your guitars. Don't worry, worship group. You will get a chance later on. But let justice roll on like a river. Let, let righteousness come like a never-failing stream. You don't often think of God talking like that, do you? I hope it makes us feel nervous. I hate your religious meetings. I don't want the songs of your guitars. 9.15 on a Sunday morning. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. God loves justice. God loves righteousness. God does not want to see 27 million people in this world living in poverty. Uh, slavery, sorry. Or poverty. Again, how can we love one another? It says in 1 John 3:16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for others. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Love in actions and in truth. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in, uh, I was in the Congo, and uh, I was visiting some, uh, one day I was visiting some um, water projects. Uh, it was a part of the world um, where cholera is rife, one of the worst affected parts of the world. And we visited some communities. Um, and uh, you can put the picture up, Dane. Uh, the, the people in this picture, um, these ladies, they, they each day or twice a day, they walk down to the lake and they get water and they carry it back to the community. 
and the lake that they get the water from is the lake where the towns um, slightly further away put all their uh, waste, their sewage, untreated into the lake. It's where the toilets, very shallow toilets, roll down into the water and the ladies walk out and not too deep, not too far because it's a deep lake, get water and bring it back and people get cholera and people die. And as we arrived to, to look at that project to see how it was getting on, the whole community gathered around. They all came. They gave us chairs to sit on. The elders of the community stood up and introduced themselves. The water committee stood up and introduced themselves. They gave us a scrawny little goat to eat, um, which we did. It was very nice. Then the whole community, the old, the young, everybody, walked with us up the hill, just where this is, to show us where they're digging the channel um, with the project support from, from uh, eight kilometers up in the mountain to bring water down to the village. It was their priority. It mattered. Going back to Maslow's needs, it was right at the very bottom. Sorry, that's me doing that. I'm just going to do that to stop that happening. Sorry, Andrew. Me. Let me just take that off. In fact, it's better, isn't it? Um, they matter. Water was right at the bottom of that need, and that's what they need. That's what they prioritized on. Therefore, when we came to talk to them about this project, they all gathered together because it mattered. And, and, and the thing is, that project is possible because of churches like this one, people like you and me giving, are enabling things to happen. We're affecting one another's lives. We're living in this world where we actually affect and interact with one another. We give money and we're able to help people get water and turn their lives around. And slightly closer to home three weeks ago, um, sorry, one more thing on that point. Last week, a friend in this church came with his daughter and gave me something. And he said to me, are you involved in any water projects? I said, well, it just so happens that yes, we are. And his daughter had sold some of Christmas presents and taken that money to give over to say, can you give it to somebody who actually needs fresh water? That's a young girl in this church who is affecting people's lives 6,000 miles away by giving some money so the water can be provided to a village where people are dying of cholera. Slightly closer to home three weeks ago, my life group, we were involved in one of the Beeson projects that many people in this church have been involved in and are involved in and will continue to be involved in. And we had the privilege of taking some furniture, just a few pieces of furniture, um, to a girl in Southall, a single mum with two severely disabled children. And, and just to see the smile on this lady's face just by doing something so simple and so small, just by giving her some furniture. It was very humbling to see that. The opportunity that we have to touch other people's lives is so important. God wants us to love each other. He wants us to speak into each other's lives. But what does God say our priorities should be? Well, as with Maslow, God wrote about basic needs. Uh, God put it in a slightly different framework to Maslow. Um, but he said this in, Ma in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he said this. What does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And in the context of this was written, it was exactly what was on God's heart. Right throughout the Minor Prophets, from Amos through to Malachi, if you read it, God is saying, I hate your injustice. I hate that you're not doing anything about the world in need around you. 
If you want to love me, love the world. And our world is in desperate need. 27 million people who are slaves. Millions suffering under corrupt governments, not just in Syria, but further afield. Millions of women suffering under gender-based violence. Tens of millions of children suffering at home. And those figures are not just far away. It's not just the other world. Between here and your front door, there will be people who are suffering. We need to be merciful, to love mercy, to care for every person that God has created on our earth. Not to condemn those in need, not to ignore them, but to actually be merciful towards them. And thirdly, he says, to walk humbly with our God. That means going where he goes. Not just holding his hand and feeling we have all the answers, but going to the places that we may not want to go to, whether physically, financially, socially. And I don't think it's a coincidence that God talks about justice and mercy and walking humbly with God, nor do I think it's a coincidence that walking humbly with God comes third. It's not that it's not as important as the other ones. It's that I believe God is saying, unless you are, love justice and seek justice, unless you are merciful towards one another, you cannot walk humbly with me. It's all part and parcel of our faith. You can't have that one and ignore the others. And I hope we recognize what Micah says as we look at the life of Jesus. Jesus went about proclaiming justice and mercy and walking with God. He quoted Isaiah when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He was merciful to everyone he met. To the woman caught in adultery, he saved her life literally he forgave her and he encouraged her to change her ways to the widow he restored her dead son to the lepers he restored them to community to the blind he gave sight to the men who crucified him he forgave and to peter who had denied him he gently restored and jesus walked with god obviously he only did what he saw the father was doing he went to the people that his father's heart was for but he did it in the context of how he lived his life. What Jesus was doing was preparing for the kingdom by doing the work of the kingdom. We sang about the kingdom a few minutes ago. And that's what the plan of this church is. That's what the plan of God is, the coming of the kingdom. We've talked about it often from this pulpit. We talk about the kingdom a lot in this church. The kingdom is the embodiment of all those things that we've just been talking about. In Luke 13, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a tree. It starts small, and it grows and it expands. He compares it to yeast in bread. It, it, it spreads out to um, affect the whole dough. He refers to it as of this world, but not yet. Of something that is coming and something that we have to grab hold of. It's a complex theme, but one thing is certain. The kingdom of God is the plan of God. And its establishment is the priority of God to bring wholeness to all of his creation at every level. That is what the kingdom of God is about. It's personal change in our lives. It's social change in our relationships. It's global change in how we live together on this earth. It's physical change, how we care for this earth and for our own bodies. And ultimately, the kingdom will be the restoration of all things. So Paul's, vi St. Paul's vision is about growth. That's why we have no limits. That's why Mark's vision was pretty big, if you heard it. 
it felt pretty big for a small little group of people sitting here at 9.15 this Sunday morning. And although we must focus on our personal faith, and we must start there, and we do not ignore that, it must not stop there. It's important to come together. It's important to have uh, good worship and good coffee. Very important. But it's not just that. We don't just stop when we have one success. We don't just stop when, when great and small suddenly you know, multiplies. We don't just stop when, when, when Beesom's affecting other people's lives. We don't just stop when, when Cap is, is taking some people out of poverty. We don't stop. We keep going. We don't say we've done enough. We don't sit back and watch God do it. We roll up our sleeves and get stuck in. And the message of the kingdom is quite simply a call to action. If you know, after the, after the, the, the bringing in of the kingdom at Jesus' resurrection, there's a book in the Bible. The book in the Bible basically describes everything that happened from then onwards. And it's not called the opinions or the theories or the theology of the apostles. It's called the acts of the apostles. What they did became their priorities. And when it gets to the end of the book of the Acts, it doesn't say, right, that was it, we're done. Right, Christians, go and do what you want. No, that was the beginning. That's what he wants us to be about. And if you look at the lives of the apostles, that's supposed to be a role model, actually. On TV this week, I saw one of those short 60-second films, Channel Channel 4, Channel 5, um, where Joe Public manages to get on screen and talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Um, and the guy I saw was a secular humanist talking about the end of religion. He said some quite, quite amazing things, actually. Um, he said that the Bible is often the only book religious types ever read. That the time for religion is over and will become less important. And those of us who follow illogical mumbo-jumbo will hopefully reduce in number. If our faith is just religion, I agree with him. Not that it will hopefully die, but that it should die. That is all we're about, reading a dead book, following a logical mumbo-jumbo, and just being religious and sitting in a pew, then yes, religion should die. What the world needs is change. It needs the kingdom of God to come into people's lives, into people's communities, into our world, and actually be about change. Jesus prayed a prayer to teach us how to pray. And in that prayer, he said, your kingdom come. Now, to take you back to sixth grade, come is a verb. We teach our children it's a doing word. I think they still say that in school, don't they? It's a doing word. God is about action. He always has been. The Christian faith is not about a worldview. It's not about a way of life. It's not about a belief system. It's about change. It's about bringing the Lordship of Jesus Christ into everything we do, and it always has been. In Genesis 12 right at the beginning of this book. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the world. To Israel, he said, I'm giving you the promised land, and you need to go in and fight for it and take possession of it. And that was a model for us. To Ezekiel, he gives a vision of a valley of dry bones. That's Israel. It's dead. It's religion. And God says, can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel very diplomatically says, only you know God and God breathes life into them and these dry bones rise up and become an army 
And Jesus brought about transformation. He healed people. He restored people. Acts was all about transforming communities through the local church. Paul's writings were all about changing the world. And finally, the Bible finishes with John's vision of total transformation coming about now and still to come. So when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, it was not a desire. It was the beginning of reality. And since then, the, world has, the church has been all about that throughout the centuries. Wilberforce was just one example of that in abolizing the abolishment of slavery. It's not a verb, is it? The abolishment of slavery. Somebody will tell me afterwards what that word is. Bill Hybels of Willow Creek says the local church is the hope of the world. That's not to say the local church is the only thing in the world bringing about change and bringing about hope. But actually, if the hope of the world is the kingdom of God, then yes, the local church is the hope of the world. Each year, our family, on New Year's Eve or, or thereabouts, we write down what our hopes are for the year ahead. We sit around the table, we ask each person, what do you... Next year. This year is no different. My daughter wants to finally nail the ability to swim. Um, it has been on her list for the last three years. This year we're going to do it. I want to take my family and climb a Munro in Scotland. I can't remember what the rest of them were, but they were all good. The thing is, we don't want to get to the 31st of December 2012, look back and say, well done, May family. We survived another year. We're as well off now as we were this time last year. Let's set the same high goal for 2013. No, we want to move forward. We want more. And I suggest that all of us, whether we use the word or not, are actually visionaries. We have a vision of where we want to go to. And we need to set our priorities to get there. Barry suggested last week that the life of the church is not about going around the Olympic track doing laps. It's not about Christmas tinsel, Easter chocolate, summer festivals, autumn harvest. It's actually about making real change. I do agree with Barry. He's my friend and he's sitting right there, so I have to. But importantly, to take that to the next point, the life of the church is not about doing laps, but if we are true, integrated people, if we're not just sitting here with our Sunday best on, if we are the same people on a Friday night at home or the Monday morning at work, then actually our vision will be the same as the vision that God has for our church. Church. To make a difference. To have a vision. To have the right priorities that we're not in the same place next year as we are this year. So we have a vision in St. Paul's. We have a vision of where we're going to go. And it's a big vision. And it's about touching one another's lives. And it's about putting God's kingdom first. And it's about doing real things not just talking about it. It's about justice in the world. It's about mercy in the world. And yes, it is about walking humbly with our God. We're not forgetting that. But that actually comes with the other two. Because we can't have one without the others. Thought for the day this morning, I heard a few seconds of it as I was trying to wake up. And it was a, an ordained member of the Church of England. And she concluded with this. Therefore, we all need to be kind to one another. Even ordained people don't always get it right. I prefer Matt Redman and LZ Sivens um, conclusion. We need to rise up. We need to stand up. And we need to make a change. 
So when Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, which is actually the passage for this morning, but we need to walk towards it rather than from it. What he meant was this. Go and bring the kingdom of God into the whole world, into all of society, at all levels, in all places, and bring other people into that commission as well, who equally, equally will be kingdom people. He also said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are still too few, and that's more true today than ever. And so the vision for St. Paul's is that all of us get involved, that we all get involved in this work. There are ministries galore in St. Paul's, and if there isn't a ministry that fits you, we can find one. You can find one. And the challenge is that every single one of us in this church is involved in some way or other. Not just involved in life groups, as we keep on saying, because that's about walking humbly with God at one level, but that we're involved in ministries that make sure we reach out further, that we actually affect the world, that we actually bring about change. And if there's not a ministry that fits with you, then uh, come and speak to some of the staff here or ministry leaders here and find something that you can get involved with, that you can make a difference. Now, I'm not going to ask us to come forward for prayer today. I'm not going to invite you to do that. If you need prayer, then do find somebody after the service to pray with you. But instead, what I'm going to do is close with prayer, and then John's going to lead in worship. And if you agree with anything that I've been saying this morning, if you actually want to rise up and make a difference, you want to be part of this global change to bring about the kingdom of God in all of our world, then as I pray and the worship group come up, would you stand up, as the song says, as I lead us in prayer? Lord, thank you that you have a vision for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have a desire for us to make a difference in this world. Lord, would you bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Would you bring it through our lives and the lives of others as we seek to bring you into the places in this world which are dark? Lord, help us where we feel small. Empower us to be your hands and feet that we would put others first, that we would seek your kingdom and your righteousness.